Hi, this is Samantha Lushtak. I'm the owner of Absolute EHS, and I am here with my good friend, Tasha. Hi, Tasha. Thanks for joining me today. Hello. Thank you for having me, Sam. I appreciate the invitation. Of course. So can you um, share a bit about yourself? Yes. I, um, I work at uh, Cornell University um, at the MBA program. Um, I have two kids, a four-year-old, and my daughter turns three in three weeks. Um, so you can imagine what this experience has been like for me with two toddlers. Um, I uh, graduated from West Point, um, spent a little over a decade on active duty in the Army, doing HR for, for the Army. And uh, after having my son, transitioned out and transitioned into higher education where I've been since 2017. Great. So, um, so what were you doing before COVID hit? Oh man, before COVID hit, so was that like mid, mid March? Um, I was planning a summer trip. I had a lot of, a lot of things lined up for the summer. Actually, I had a couple, um, conventions for some organizations that I'm a member of that I was planning to attend. Um, was planning to take my kids down to see um, their grandparents, both my parents and my mother-in-law live in Texas. And, um, oh, and I was preparing for my mom to come up because she's going to help me uh, continue to downsize some of the, the, the stuff uh, that we have in this house and help me finish uh, staining my, my back deck. So, um, you know, not exciting things, but I just had regular, regular schmegular things that I was thinking about and planning to participate in um, during the summer. Oh, and at work, um, the students were just getting ready to go on spring break. So um, that's probably my, one of my favorite times of year because I get to spend that time um, pretending to catch up on all the things that I said I'm going to catch up on when the <laughs> students are gone. Um, so I, I read out my plan and I'm like, okay, these are all the things I'm going to get done. And then what ends up happening is uh, we just take advantage of the quiet. And so work slows down a little bit. Uh, the pace slows down a little bit and just recover uh, basically from the, the first half of the, the spring semester. Um, so yeah, that's what I was doing. So just normal, normal life stuff. <laughs> yep. Oh, and uh, my, my co-teacher and I, we were, I, I, my class, I, I teach a class in the second half of spring. And so we were getting together to finalize and firm up the, the, the schedule, the syllabus <laughs> for that class for the second half of spring. Great. So um, when COVID officially hit, I think for New York, it was in March is when everything went into lockdown. What, what changed? What happened? Yeah, I think of it in like um, buckets. So it's like, okay, when COVID happened, um, when I transitioned down to my folks house, I'll talk about that. Um, that was like bucket number two. Um, then there was the realization that, oh wait, this is actually going to be a little longer than we were expected. That was phase three. And then phase four was with, um, you know, Governor Cuomo saying that we could come back. So the first thing that happened, um, you know, we get this news that, you know, COVID is happening in certain spots in America. 
um, it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, get this heads up that the president's gonna make some announcement related to, to COVID. Um, and I could see the writing on the wall that like, like Cornell was gonna be closed right after spring break. And I'm like, well, Cornell's closing, daycare's gonna be closed. Um, so I immediately like freak out. Uh, text my parents, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna buy some airline tickets, I'm gonna come down to San Antonio, send what I thought was gonna be two, maybe three weeks down in Texas with them and just until this whole thing, you know, blows over. Um, so, oh, and this was also the day after I had gone to the grocery store and like stocked up on stuff because, you know, apparently people were going crazy about toilet paper. Um, so I went and bought like, you know, canned foods, dry food, I might have even like reached out to you and, and asked you some questions about like. You reached out to me after you were already on the plane. And oh, said, <laughs> I don't know if I should tell you, but I just flew with my kids. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Um, <laughs> you're right. I talked to you after. Because we were, I think we were talking as if I was getting ready to go. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not here. Um, <laughs> So I'd gone out and I, I stocked up on some stuff. I'm like, all right, you know, I gotta get a couple weeks worth of things to survive being at home. And the weather was still cold. Get down to Texas with my week's worth of clothes for my children and I, and we just, we hung out. We're like, okay, cool. Then, <laughs> then um, you know, two weeks turned into a month and, um, a month turned into a month and a half, moving towards two months. And it was probably about, I don't know, maybe, yeah, I think it was mid-April-ish when at the same time as like my, my, I was staying with my parents, my children were there, my, my mother-in-law was a couple hours away. Um, that I finally reached that stage of, um, I reached the, I come to the conclusion that we were gonna be here for a little while longer. Um, we were gonna be here for a while. Like this is actually not temporary. And at the time down in Texas, Texas, they were just starting to, you know, work from home, just starting to introduce this idea of masks. Um, New York's, the way that New York City looked like was not what it was like down in San Antonio. So when San Antonio finally started going to like, you know, working from home, staying home, mask, oh no, we're gonna be here for a while, my kids wanna go back to school, then that's when things started popping up around with like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And Ahmaud, I think Ahmaud Aubrey was first, um, if I remember correctly, because I remember talking to my manager about um, you know, being like in a military family, you know, you know my husband is black, I'm black. Um, we, we live in nice neighborhoods, our friends live in nice neighborhoods. And it was like, wow, like, like my husband could have been a Mod Arbery, or a friend of mine could have been a Mod Arbery, or I could have been a Mod Arbery. Well, not really me, because I don't run like that anymore. But <laughs> um, a Mod Arbery could have been someone that I knew, someone who was just running in his neighborhood or through neighborhoods, across neighborhoods, and had someone target them because they didn't 
look like they belonged. And so that happened. Um, George, then I saw the video of George Floyd and heard the story about Breonna Taylor. And then all of a sudden, this coupled with, you know, information around like, you know, black and brown people being, you know, disproportionately impacted and affected by coronavirus. And they didn't know if it was um, like hereditary, I'm thinking like sickle cell, right? Like there are, right. sickle cell is like a, you know, something that impacts, you know, the black community more than others. So I didn't know if it was a genetic thing, if it was, I didn't know what it was about. Like why, why, why are we saying that black people are, are, are um, impacted by, by COVID-19 more? And so all of this is happening <laughs> at the same time, right? Like COVID-19, um, what felt like black, back-to-back -back black people being unjustly murdered, um, being at home with two toddlers, not being in my home, you know, being displaced and all this stuff just boiled and like, just turned into like this perfect storm, right? Um, and then for like weeks, it was just a blur. So I, I, would, I would explain to, or I would share with friends and even folks at work, colleagues at work, that I bounced between rage and I don't, um, I don't want to say hopelessness or like indifference. Um, but then there'd be like this little twinge of like hope, like, oh, but at least more people are seeing it. Like, oh, maybe, you know, people are going to do something now because everyone doesn't have something to distract them and, and take away from like talking about this issue of, of black people being killed um, by police officers. Um, when, when there's a system in place to, to, for, for you to, I mean, we're all innocent, right? So they say, <laughs> until proven guilty in this idea that, that some police officers have been able to serve as, you know, judge, jury, uh, executioner for quite some time now. I think like my earliest memory is, um, uh, Diallo in New York City, where he went to go reach for his wallet to pull out his ID and was shot, you know, quite a few times by the police. That's my first memory of, of an unarmed black person being killed by the police. And it's just like, so something going to happen? So I just, you know, I, I bounce back and forth between, you know, these emotions. And oh, by the way, trying to entertain my children. And oh, by the way, trying to do my job well. Um, and it was just a blur. And then, and then Governor Cuomo said New York was transitioning to phase four. Um, oh, so then, so that was like, you know, phase one, oh shoot, coronavirus, I need to leave. Get home, like, okay, we're here, we're a house guest or whatever. Honeymoon phase is over. At the same time, it feels like the world is on fire. Um, and then, you know, the next phase was um, it feels like New York has it under control. My kids are losing it. I'm beginning to lose it. Let's make this plan to transition back home, get them back into school so we can, so they can have some sense of normalcy, whatever the new normal is, right? Um, at least they're sleeping in their beds when they're at home. So that, <laughs> that's been the last 
um, geez, was it been four months now at this point? Uh, March, April, May, June, July. Yeah, four months, a little yeah. over four months. Four months since lockdown in New York. Yep, yep, uh, four months from me. Um, I remember uh, sending an email to one of the, the deans as they're like navigating how to manage, you know, coronavirus and uh, demands for justice within the higher educational space. I remember sending them an email saying, you know, I wouldn't blame them that if the aliens showed up on the 4th of July, if they quit, right? Because at that point, like, you know, 2020 just felt like it was exhausting. I was exhausted. And we still have, yeah, at that point, still had six months left. So, um, yeah, it's just been a lot of emotions, um, too many, like so many things to process that I, I just, I, at one point I just wasn't. Um, it's like, all right, all these things are happening. Let me just pretend like all these things aren't happening. Just try to like, you know, coast along as best as possible. Um, a defense me mechanism for sure. Um, since the beginning of this whole, the pandemic happening, um, hadn't like, you know, spent any time like processing my own emotions around like how I felt about, you know, being displaced and, I mean, you're, you're a mother too, and I don't, I don't pretend to project that you do this, but um, I know that most mothers try to like stay centered um, so that, because the children can, they can, they can feel it, they can see it, the energy, right? Like if energy's off. And so how, like finding this balance of how do I be authentic and show them that it's okay to be, you know, nervous and scared and unsure while also making them feel safe and secure and, and sure and um yeah so it's just it's very very challenging um all of it you know by the way my children you know have cute little brown faces so you know then you start thinking about like how i protect my kids from covid and racism and and all these things and it's like ah oh, natasha your children are you know two and four years old like you have time and it's like but do i have time like they're already, yeah, already it, four <laughs> our daughters are about the same age and yeah it like goes it, overnight yeah it goes overnight so um this this situation has caused me to just just stop and spend some time thinking about like what's important to me who do i want to be am i as educated on some of these issues as i should be um, how do I move the needle as it relates to like racism, um, either at like a, a micro level, like within my friend group, to the macro level, as in like our government, um, or you know we talk about COVID, right? Like with the even within like our healthcare system, just like how um, just like some of the discrimination that exists within healthcare. Before COVID, um, I'm not sure if you were aware, but uh, it's related, but not. Um, Serena Williams was talking about how like after she gave birth to her daughter, how she was like, she knew there was something wrong with her body and she needed care and asked very specifically for um, um, a medication. And the doctors kind of just like brushed her off, like, ah, like you're fine or whatever. It's, you know, pressure. It's all these things that they tell us when we're complaining about our bodies. And she demanded it. Like she demanded like that they take care of her. And so being a black woman, having, 
you know, giving birth and having talked to doctors about things that had been wrong with me or that hurt and having this, um, this recommendation shared of like, well, if they refuse to do something, ask them to document that in your file that you asked to receive X treatment. They said no, it was unnecessary. And it's interesting because it, then it turns into, oh, well, if you want this thing, then we'll do this thing for you, right? Because like, who knows your body you know, more than you do? And I think about that as it relates to, to COVID. Um, you know, I, I think I read somewhere or, or heard somewhere that like black people have died at a rate two and a half to three times more than white people in this country, right? And black people represent 13% of, of, US, of US citizens. Um, why are we dying at rates two to three times more than everyone else? And it goes back to this idea that like, that there, are, there is a, a systemic problem as it relates to racism in our, in our country, right? So, and I know not all, not all black people, I, I sometimes you have to say this, like not all black, not all African-American, not all, you know, you know black indigenous people of color um, fit this profile, but many people do. So, you know, look at who, who our essential workers are, right? Like who are the people that we're asking to stay open and you think about your restaurants and your supermarkets and um, you know, lower, you know, I'm using air quotes, wage earners, that's who we're relying and depending on, right? And they don't have an option of not going to work. They have to go to work. They either have to go to work because they're providing a service that we, we need or they have to go to work because they need to continue to provide for their families, for themselves, um, and putting themselves at risk to potentially contract this virus. Because at that time, people weren't socially distancing. They weren't wearing their masks. And so now they've, it, the risk of them catching coronavirus has increased, right? Um, so we we're talking about like being you know, disproportionately represented as essential workers, essential employees, access to healthcare. So many people working without healthcare or without affordable care or um, unable to get care because maybe there's you know one clinic in their neighborhood and it's backlogged and they can't you know get an appointment or or if they do get an appointment they're shushed away or they're shooed away and it's just like oh you know they'll take some Motrin or some NyQuil or something like they don't, or they can't afford to, or they don't think they can afford to and, and they don't, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, wealth, wealth disparities, um, location, look at New York City, right? Like New York City is people living on top of people, on top of people, on top of people. So when I think about like housing projects, can't socially distance in a housing project. Um, you can't socially distance if you're in a high-rise apartment where there's 12 doors you know, side by side. Um, and so it's no surprise that like, more people of color were impacted um, by this. Like, at, it, exposed, um, it exposed something that people already knew existed, um, but now had to reckon with because it's in your face and people are dying every day. Um, so that's kind of one of the questions that I notice people um, coming up with, and I appreciate that we can have candid conversations like this. Um, yeah. So, 
I, I remember the incident you're talking about when I was a kid and, you know, he reached in for his wallet and he got, he got shot multiple times um, yeah. and it, for no reason. Um, and, you know, this has been happening for our lifetimes and beyond. It's, it's really, it's been going on for quite a while. Yeah. What do you, why do you think this is finally coming to a head in the middle of a pandemic? Is it because we have more time? Is it because of what you've been saying that it almost feels like the pandemic itself is racist and now it's just, um, but it, I mean, it's not that uh, COVID is specifically targeting oh, right. people of color. It's that our healthcare system has failed. It's that our socioeconomic stat or, you know, disparities are just insane. Our housing is inadequate. We've got a lot of other issues going on, but yeah. it's kind of, like, it's kind of pointing in that direction. Um, or yeah. is it just that we're all sitting in front of our computers now and we can actually talk? Yeah, I think it's all the above. And like I, and I might, you know, I just want to be clear, like I'm not an expert in any of this. Um, it's just me and curiosity and, you know, reading and, and watching and listening to people who are very smart and well-read on some of these things. Um, you know, I had that same question. Like my question when all this was happening was like, why now? And, um, and I spoke to my manager about it. And I was just like, yeah, I just can't really wrap my, my head around like, why this is happening now. And, and, she, and she shared, um, and I think the way she framed it was like, like it was what her hypothesis was. And I, and I think I kind of agree with this is that at this point we were all like in isolation for the most part. And it's not natural for people to be in isolation. Like we are, we are meant to be in, with other people, engage and communicate with, see, touch, be with other people. And so here you have like, you know, COVID's happening. We're all hunkered down in our houses with our families. At this point, we're all kind of tired of like Zoom happy hours and like seeing people resume and, and doing the artificial virtual connection, which is still important, but it's just not the same. And it, it was almost as if because there were no other distractions, the entire country watched a man be executed in broad daylight. <laughs> with three other cops present and people standing on the sidewalks and the streets videotaping, begging them, begging him to get off of this man, right? And then you see, you know, his body scooped up. Clearly he's unconscious, tossed onto a gurney and, and tossed into the back of an ambulance. And I think, and, and what she was sharing and I, and I'm paraphrasing and putting this in my own words is that we were already on edge and hypersensitive to the lack of connection, to the uncertainty, to, for some people, fear, anxiety, um, what's gonna happen next as it relates to, and, and oh, I'm sure two people you know, lost their jobs and have already lost loved ones because of, of um, complications related to the coronavirus. And so it was just this perfect little storm of, we're all like, I don't want to say we were sponges for it, but there was nothing to turn your attention away from it. There was nothing to distract you from it. There was nowhere to go. You couldn't use, you know, you're going in the office and you didn't see it. Everybody saw it. For the most part, if you had TV or, you know, internet service, I mean, you got a news, you got a phone alert. So everyone saw it or knew of it. And I think seeing it and knowing you couldn't hide from it plus being like 
hypersensitive, feeling wh whatever it is you're feeling because of being isolated and, and quarantining, um, blew the lid off is what I think. Like it's always been there. It's always been brewing under the surface and people have always been talking about it. Black Lives Matter has been protesting since um, Trayvon Martin being murdered. It's been a few years, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's been countless others between, you know, between Trayvon and, and Breonna Taylor and, um, and uh, Tony McDade and, and all these folks, right? And so this is, we're aware, like we've been watching these things happen. And now everyone's paying attention. And I think, and this is, I know this is my opinion, that while some of us have been engaged in these conversations and, and, and activism and protesting and in trying to make change, we're dealing with, we, you know, the, the group is dealing with processing that on our own, what's happening, and also watching everyone else processing what's happening and wanting to, like intentions being good, wanting to, like, what can we do? How do we drive change? How do we make things better? Um, what's the way ahead? And it's like, I know for me personally, I'm like, I can't even think about the way ahead. I'm still processing how I'm feeling about all of the stuff that's happening. Um, and so it, it almost felt like now was the time to start. It felt like people were ready, maybe, you know, genuinely or not, were ready to have some conversations on what they could do. Um, or what they should do or what what can be changed and in some spaces not in all um, and people just trying to figure out well, what's what is the right answer like what do we do um, and there have been some great plans and some ideas out there of what it looks like moving forward but I think I think we were all just we were all just primed and ready for it because if not for COVID I'm not really sure if there would have been a national conversation around so that, that actually leads to my next question, which is kind of loaded, but just your opinion. In a way, it could be argued that COVID was necessary to make for social change, but that's complicated yeah. to say because COVID also disproportionately affects Absolutely. BIPOC. Um, yeah. It's so, yeah, I... Yeah, it's interesting because it sounds, it sounds insensitive saying it, right? Like, if not for COVID, then these other conversations maybe wouldn't have been able to happen. And, and, I, and I believe that. Like, and, and, I, and I believe it in a non, I, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, like 100, close to 150,000 people now, I think, um, have died. Um, and that's, they all represent a loved one, um, you know, a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, like siblings. Like, um, so that's, so not, I'm, 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 I definitely don't want to be perceived as um, minimizing that, but I do think that because of this situation, we are able to have the conversations, the national conversation around racism, um, we can have these conversations within our organizations about racism. Um, people are now being held accountable for some of their um, 
behavior and their words and the things that they do that, that they've done um, and how they've been complicit in this in this system that that I think disenfranchises you know um, by people of color so yeah I think so yeah. um, so fascinating because you're because you're right like it's two it's two pandemics happening pandemics at the same time but it's almost as if one pandemic didn't get the push it needed without the other pandemic totally Um, and the timeline perspective obviously oh yeah yeah and like you said and oh by the way within the covid pandemic it's impacting the same group of people who are talking about this other pandemic like it's that's, it's like that Venn diagram, right? Like, there's this overlap that's happening. Right. Um, so, you know. But arguably, the, the pandemic of poor health care and everything else related Absolutely. to what we look like is Absolutely. been going on much longer than COVID. Absolutely. We're just recognizing it now. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're talking about Black Lives Matter. So the, <laughs> there are a couple of, I, I tend to field questions online before I have these chats. So um, Memorial Day versus Black Lives Matter protests. Memorial <laughs> Day, we saw huge spikes in COVID. The BLM protests really haven't been linked to it. Um, however, we do hear about masks being pulled down at these protests, people getting pepper sprayed, um, which leads to coughing and everything else. Um, just personal opinions. I know I have my safety opinions, but do yeah. you, I mean, what, what do you, do you think that there is a difference there or is there, um, could it be a hoax, I guess is the question most people have. Um, a hoax that COVID is spreading during these protests? Uh, yeah, or that it's being covered up in some way. Wouldn't the police officers get it if they're pulling down protesters' masks? Yeah, yeah. I I think um, I think people when they are uncomfortable with topics, they will come up with ways to. Um, uh, the words escaping me right now, but um, in order to not have to face it, like bring up other things, right? Like, um, oh well, you're spreading, you know. COVID. Oh, but did you say Black people were disproportionately impacted by COVID? So why are you doing these Black Lives Matter protests? Or why are you attending like the George Floyd uh, funeral service? And um, and part of me, one part of me is just like, you know, health and safety, right? Like a, a, a close friend of mine, one of my dear friends, we are planning to go to the March on Washington next month. And we are continuing to monitor what things are looking like to determine whether or not we're gonna make this trip down to, to do the March on Washington at the end of August. And so part of me is just like the health and the health, the public safety, public health and safety component, right? The other side of me is just like, what are you willing to risk and give up for the rights of a people? For, for, for people to have a right to exist, <laughs> to live. And so that side of me is just like, okay, so how do I protect myself? You know, maybe it's an N95 mask, maybe it's, you know, hand sanitizer clipped to my backpack and like con- continually using hand sanitizer every five minutes. Like 
like just coming up with a plan to make sure that I'm safe, making sure that I'm adhering to as best as I can, like keeping my distance from people. Um, so like this, this balance of do I, do I get out there and be heard or do I, you know, take other things in? Cause some, it's not always about us, right? Like I have two small children, um, my family, the group of my family members who care for my children and even I got sick all have some pre-existing condition where that would prevent them from either traveling or and or being exposed to COVID potentially. And so it's like, well, I don't put those folks in risk. I don't put my family in risk. And so just going back and forth between like what I have a strong desire to do and be and also protecting my loved ones. Um, I think that there are people who are making these same decisions when they're, I mean, look at Portland, for example, right? Like they've been protesting 61 days now, I think, at the time of this recording, I think, or maybe it's like 60, 59 days, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, every day. And it's just like, so I think there's a huge difference between um, massive groups of people getting together to demand change, to demand justice, to fight for um, equity, and a pool party. <laughs> um, like, or a graduation party, or your right to barbecue, or all these things. Like, I just, I, it's really hard, because, like, I'm, I'm, I believe in everyone's, you know, their right to, to do what they want with their bodies. And if they're willing to put their bodies at risk at coronavirus, for coronavirus, then have at it. I think I take challenge with it when it impacts other people. Like your decision is now making things, potentially making things unsafe for other people. And I think that that's a risk that protesters are taking. I think that's a risk that people who have to have their pool party are taking. Um, I think there's a difference when someone's at a party and no one's wearing a mask versus when you look at the protesters and you can see them making a conscious effort to keep their faces covered, protect themselves, protect others. Um, cops pulling down masks to spray people in the face is just it's crazy. Like it's just, it's, it's crazy to me and, and not, uh, and I can also, and I can also sympathize, or at least be empathetic to. You know, I have, I have members of my family who serve as police officers and serve in the military, and it can be incredibly painful and challenging to have people yelling at you, um, disrespecting you, um, hurling things at you. In some cases, not all. Um, and as a family member, you know, being scared for your husband or your wife, your son or daughter, who's a member of a police force. Um, but I also think that we can, we can challenge people to do and be better. Um, we are not ask, asking police officers to be and do everything for a community, I think is asinine. Well, and that comes to the defund the police Absolutely. ideas. So can we yeah. discuss what defund the police actually means? Yeah. A lot of people um, are very confused about that. Yeah, I really love the, um, I really, well, first I'll say that I, I encourage people whenever they're curious about things to go to the source. Um, 
you know, blacklivesmatter.com is where the Black Lives Matter organization houses their information around some of their key issues. Um, I love the cartoon that Ben and Jerry uh, shared. I'm not sure if you saw it. It's basically an ice cream sundae bowl, and it shows this huge mound of ice cream representing, I think, $6 billion was the how much money goes towards like NYPD. And taking an ice cream scoop and scooping some money from that six billion and plopping it down into affordable housing and scooping some and putting it into um, healthcare and another scoop or two towards our schools um, and another scoop towards social services and all these things, right? And it's just like, we don't have to ask our police officers to be all things to all people in the community. There are people who have um, these skills that can help in certain situations. Like if, if someone, you know, has a, um, a mental health disorder or they're ill, why are police doing health and welfare checks? Like why aren't, you know, social workers doing it or psych psychiatrists doing it or psychologists or um, a medical professional or maybe in conjunction or in collaboration with like, if somebody's sick, if somebody's ill, if somebody fell, you know, why, why are we not sending the right type of people? Um, and I think that's what it's getting at, that we can, redistrib we can redistribute some of this money into places where they could be used um, effectively. I mean, look at, look at this whole school situation right now, right? Imagine if we took a billion dollars and gave it towards educate, like towards public schools. What can a billion dollars do? I don't know. I know it's a lot of money. Um, pay our teachers. <laughs> well, starting there, right? Like paying our teachers, paying daycare providers, paying all these people who all of a sudden became essential when, when our country shut down. Um, you know, making sure that kids are going to school that, that has running water, clean water, making sure that public housing is, you know, um, is fit for people to live in. <laughs> um, and so I, I think like, re, like redistributing some of this funding, um, I think could help alleviate some of these social challenges that we're seeing. So one of the other um, things that's come up that I've seen, uh, and I found surprising and love your opinion, most of our essential workers are people of color. People of color are disproportionately affected by COVID. People of color are disproportionately, um, disproportionately, um, uh, I guess, terrorized by people of authority. And just make that kind of broad. Yeah. Um, is it the white person's job to do BLM marches so that people of color can stay home and protect themselves from coronavirus, which unjustly affects them because our healthcare system failed and because they tend to have more, co more comorbidities and all of these other reasons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Um, I, we, the people, we cannot change until the, the entire system is ready to change. And the system, the people in power who are in, 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 who are in charge of the system um, are white people. 
Um, so who is going to be the one that makes the changes? Like, and, and don't get me wrong, there are black people who are in positions of power. Um, and there are white people who are, who are poor and who also have pre-existing conditions. And they're also, you know, being negatively impacted um, by coronavirus. And so I just want to make sure that that's clear that I'm not saying that, you know, it's not affecting all people around the spectrum, but um, this isn't, in my opinion, a problem either at the local level or at the national level within public and private institutions and organizations that black people alone can change. Um, people in positions of power have to be willing to change and be willing to use their power and privilege um, to make the changes within their organizations. And sometimes it's going to be hard looks in the mirror saying, oh, maybe I'm not the one that's best equipped in order to fix this or change this or move the ball forward. I need to step aside and allow somebody else to step in and do it instead. Um, it's, so it's like, a, I, I think of it as an incredibly tangled, knotty knot, right? And, and, it's, and it's, it's so, the knot's so tight that it's just gonna take us all just pulling at the strings, you know, unlooping one at a time before we're able to untangle it. Because I'm of the opinion that um, racism is so intricately woven into the very fiber of America since the beginnings <laughs> um, that uh, it's, it's gonna take more than a summer during quarantine to solve it, to fix it, to dismantle it. Fair enough. Uh, good. So uh, I also, I want to talk briefly about, you know, you, you mentioned your whole family is military or most of your family is military. Um, we've seen COVID bring up a whole other slew of issues um, for military personnel. We've got some issues to do with women and sexual assaults. But we also have things such as um, COVID disproportionately affecting people in the military, similarly to how it's affecting people in the prison system, because they are in tight quarters and it really, you know, we are having trouble getting a handle on it. Um, is that something you can speak to? Um, yeah, not, uh, so not specifically as in like today, since I'm, I'm kind of removed from it um, for the most part, but knowing that like people live in barracks, they live in a, you know, a 10 by 10 room, they have a roommate, shared bathroom spaces, um, shared eating facilities, you, you work out in close quarters, you move from point A to point B in close quarters. Um, it's kind of hard to do whatever the mission is, socially distanced. Um, it sounds so like I think college. <laughs> that it sounds like college okay that's exactly what it is in terms of like living in dormitories and all those things yeah um so i'm i'm not surprised by it i think i think i think coronavirus just presented just this really complex problem in that you don't even know if you're infected until or you could be asymptomatic for a while or you don't even know you're infected until like a week or two. And oh, by the way, are you able to get a test? How long does it take to get a test back? So um, I hesitate to speak on it um, because I'm not like 
wearing a uniform, I'm not in an organization, I'm not in a unit, so I don't know what protocol and procedures have been for folks in the military as it relates to this, like right, right when it first began. Um, but I mean, I think people saw what happened with that, that naval ship where it just ripped through, like it just spread so quickly. Um, it's just hard to socially distance when everyone's living in, in tight quarters, um, really tight spaces. It's, it's near impossible to do your job and do it well. And you can't, you know, be within close proximity, proximity to people. Yeah. Uh, well, we covered a lot. I don't want to overwhelm yeah. anybody. Um, <laughs> I want to know, uh, you know, in that, you know, we talked about you being a mom and we, you know, everything with Black Lives Matter and there's a bit of military in there and just yeah. what, what do you want to leave us with? <laughs> there's, there's, I know there's a lot to say. Yeah, I, I think I would just encourage folks to like, you know, take an inventory of like yourself, your thoughts, uh, your family, um, who are you around? Who do you surround yourself with? Um, are you around people of different backgrounds? Not what I'm not, I'm not saying go out and find you, you know, your, your token, you know, black or brown person of color. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, you know, does your friend group represent a diverse, like a, a diverse thought group, um, either, you know, diverse by, um, by the way that they look externally, by their thoughts, by their experiences, by their politics, by all of these things. Um, and take a look at that and see, are you, do you create spaces of inclusivity? Um, do you create spaces where people um, can talk to you about these issues? Or are you doing things to, to, to make change? And I feel like, you know, activism can show up in a wide range of things, right? It can be just a $25 donation to a cause in your local community. Or it could be up. You, it could be you getting out on the streets and protesting, or running for public office, or writing to your congressperson, or calling your congressperson, or showing up to their office if they're open now, like wearing your mask and doing it socially distanced, right? So I think that just taking a, a look inside and seeing and asking yourself, are you part of the problem? And if there are things that you are doing that are problematic what can you do to, to begin to change things? Because it's going to take all of us um, for things to change. Great. Well, thank you for sharing all that insight. Yeah, thanks for having me.